We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I study the secrets of the divine plagues and uncover the blasphemous truth that ours is not a loving God and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, wherever podcasts are available. Let's hang Hey everyone, and welcome back to Les Hangout, the podcast where when we get that feeling, we need consent feeling. You're welcome. <laughs> I love how the past few episodes we've done a singing intro. As many of them as I can now. I'm like, I've got the musical, I've got the musical bug. Healing, baby. I love it. I did what I could. Uh, from the West Coast, I'm Lee Holmes Foster. And from the East Coast, I'm Ellie Brigida. To those of you who have been with us through this whole journey, thank you as always for listening. If you're a new listener, welcome. We're excited to have you here. And here's what's happening this week. This week in the Lesdom. This Week in the Lesdom is a place where we can touch base each episode about things going on with the podcast or otherwise. This is our second week of crowdfunding for our musical podcast. We are so excited. The Flame Musical. And you can follow along. It's also where we'll be dropping new information about casting announcements or how things are going or... You know, maybe follow us on social medias for like some sneak peeks, previews, teasers, things like that. Pictures of us working on some of the stuff. Um, We're so excited. It's there's still a lot of work to be done, but we cannot thank everyone enough for all the support. And we're excited to keep working on this. Up next, we also have our Orphan Black Trivia Night from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on October 22nd. Can't wait to see all of you there as well. And if you want to get tickets, we have all of our ticket links on our social media accounts. In the greater Les universe, the top news that we have to start with, let's talk the Schitt's Creek Emmy sweep. Nine freaking Emmys. Amazing. Incredible. So, so cool to see. So, so cool to see all of the support for this super gay little show that we just love. So much. much. Uh, So so that was amazing. Just literally an incredible, incredible response to Shit's Creek. Also, Zendaya won an Emmy for her performance in Euphoria. If you haven't seen Euphoria, this Emmy was very well deserved. Incredible show, and the acting is impeccable. So I'm very, very happy for that win as well. And it's also another super gay show. So we're yeah, excited. I guess the question is, could the Emmys get any gayer? And the answer is no, they could not. 
That's what's happening this week. Back to you, Ellie and Lee. Thanks, Ellie and Lee. We are so excited to bring you episode three of season four, Pros and Consent. Ah, really nailed the <laughs> really landing on that yeah. one. <laughs> Uh, and we are even more excited to be joined today by a special guest. We have Aaron Tillman is here. Thank you so much for joining us, Aaron. Yay, I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me. We're so excited to have you. Aaron is a sex educator and dating coach. Aaron, will you tell us more about all of the many, many things that you do? Because you are a multifaceted <laughs> entrepreneur. Thank you. Thank you, Ellie. Yeah, I've done a lot of things. I've been a dating coach for, wow, uh, about 12 years now. So this was pre-Instagram, pre-Tinder, pre-dating apps, pre-blogs. I sound real old as I (laughs) say all that. So I've been around for a little while. And um, in those 12 years, I've done everything from uh, speaking on college campuses around dating safety. I've consulted with dating apps to make them more consensual. I have, um, I used to run like singles events and speed dating events, um, which is a whole other, that's its own podcast of hijinks in the singles uh, speed dating realm. I was a match. Please make that podcast. (laughs) I know, right? That actually would be hilarious. Um, I was a matchmaker for a little bit. Um, Gosh, so many things. And I'm a newly certified sex educator. So I'm super excited to be joining the ranks. And, you know, I have to say this too, and I think some of the audience will probably relate to this. You know, one of the reasons why I, I waited so long to get certified was that I feel like there is this intimidation factor around sex and around, you know, body part names. And, you know, there's, there's so many like wrong things we learn in sex ed. Just think about like the sex ed most of us have had when we were in high school and stuff and it just wasn't great or it was wrong information. So I'm like, oh my gosh, like, do I want to be doing that? Like, what if I do it wrong? So I avoided it for a long time and then I'm like, you know, why am I avoiding this? Like, I do know a lot of things and I want to learn more. So here we are. So yay, there you go. That is awesome. And we are very excited to learn more from you as well. So you recently wrote a book, The Consent Guidebook. We also met you at Squad Fest. You had an incredible panel all about setting boundaries and consent. And that's why we were like, we need more of this. So tell us about your book, The Consent Guidebook, and what it's about. Okay. Well, thank you so much for saying that, by the way. It's so funny because sometimes I forget I wrote a book. Because <laughs> it just I, it was like in the height <laughs> of the Me Too movement. And, you know, it, it was – so the book. The book is called The Consent Guidebook. Um, and basically – it's it's a easy to follow basic guidebook for boundaries. People maybe who are new to the idea of consent, it was a very, if you remember, which how could we forget the height of the Me Too movement, there was a lot of all these guys were get like gotcha and like, how dare they? And how do you know? And oh, I've crossed a boundary. Am I supposed to be like canceled now? And all these things. Right. What am I never supposed to talk to a woman again ever? (laughs) Right, right. And I mean, and not to bash, you know, cishet men, but I mean, I want to say, though, I do want to say, like, I mean, I I know a lot of cishet men who have good intentions and really don't know anything. But there is that other category where it was like, women are just so and I'm like, all right, guys, like, simmer down and maybe you should listen. Right. Yeah. So, so yeah. Back so, in my day, they called that a compliment. Yeah. <laughs> right. Okay. All sure. of that. We know. We know who you mean. It's yeah. 
Right. Oh my God. That was great. That voice. That was so classic. And like, I feel like that could be its own podcast too. Like all the voices and all the phrases of all the things. Right. So yeah. But it's a podcast nobody wants to listen to. <laughs> At least our audience. Because nobody of- wants to hear more of that. We we know what it is. As you see, it's part of our lives. So we totally know what's coming. But so because of all of that, the Me Too movement, I also have worked in the entertainment industry for oof, about 15 years. So and a lot of the things that were happening were around, you know, like Harvey Weinstein, Bill Cosby. There were a lot of stories there. And so I'm like, gosh, it seems like, you know, I think we all were like, what is missing here? Why is this happening? Why are all these all of these stories coming out now? And and why was it that so many people felt like they couldn't speak up before? Again, I think we in this room and a lot of your listeners probably know those reasons. It's usually there is a hierarchy at play. For one, there's a power balance of imbalance at play a lot of times. And I mean, sometimes, I mean, we could get, I don't want to get too deep into that yet, but so because of all those things, I was like, you know, maybe I should write a book about this or just write some thoughts. It started off as thoughts. And let me just say too, I mean, it was a really daunting task to decide to write a book about consent because there weren't many at all. Like there were maybe, there's maybe, there's a couple people out there who are, you know, some of, some people have been in sex ed for a long time, two women in particular I can think of, and they've been in the game for a while. But other than them, there really weren't a lot of resources. So I'm like, who am I to write this book? And I'm like, well, someone needs to write something like, cause all, no information is not helpful, right? Clearly there is a learning curve disparity here and we need to do it. So I wrote the book and I was nervous the whole time writing the book. And then I was nervous when the book was released and I'm still kind of nervous about it being out there, to be honest, <laughs> because I'm like, everyone's going to have an opinion about it. And there's things I missed. And this conversation evolves all the time. It's never done. Things I wrote, the, my book was published um, two years ago and things are still evolving. So some of the things in my book definitely still ring true, but there's probably some things I would add now if I rewrote yeah. it, you know? So I had to let go of all that crap and just say, this still hopefully will be helpful for people. So yeah. What would you add? I think I would add more nuance around, well, A, I have a, a chapter on digital things and consent. And since the pandemic happened, there's been like a whole new, I mean, there's I touched on a few things, but there's just a whole bunch of other stuff that we'll probably talk about during this, this interview, you know, that I would add now that's like, even just me being on Zoom and all these things, I'm like, oh yeah, so that's a thing that prop people are dealing with now, you know? So that's one example, but yeah, so many different things, so. OnlyFans yeah. didn't even exist when this book came out, right? I, mean, I don't think it did. I know, it's, yeah. that's the thing, it's just all evolving. And so I will say this too, I mean, consent, because, you know, conversations around consent, conversations around gender, conversations around orientation, conversations around lifestyle, all these things are are evolving at such a rapid rate that it's really important that we keep some level of open mind. Like there's no fixed, this is the answer forever. I think that sometimes though that can really overwhelm people because it's this feeling of, I thought it was this term, but like even like the word queer, right? I mean, I'm, I'm, from a generation where, I mean, I'm 40, you know, 41. So, you know, when I grew up, that word was not great. And so it's totally embraced now. I use it sometimes to describe myself. And, you know, it's it's a beautiful thing to see that reclaiming of that word. But a lot of people are still like, wait, can we say that word? Like of older generations. So all that to say is just important to be like open to evolving, right? Yeah. And consent in all of these conversations, it's really important to stay open. What I also love about that, that story too, though, is I love the 
I do think it's something that we're starting to see more of now, you know, is people just saying like, I mean, am I the right person to fuck it? I'm just going to write it. I'm just going to put it out there and I'm just going to do it. And I think like the thing that I love about it is seeing a like people be willing to just sort of like just do the thing, you know, because I mean, that's something that like we always try to encourage people to do if they're like, I wish I could. We're like, just do it. Like, totally. you could just just do it. And if it doesn't work out, then like, at least, you know, you tried to do it. And like, maybe that helps someone else do it even more, you know, but I also think that especially within groups and like, for people with like marginalized identities, you know, that historically, I feel like there was just so much more of a barrier. And not to say that there are not still barriers, because there absolutely are. But I just love that, like, you know, it's like coming at that and saying like, hey, as a, as a woman, as a queer woman, as a queer woman of color, like this book needs to be out there. And like, fuck yeah, I'm the person to write it. Like, right. Well, I love it. We love to see it is what I'm saying. No, thanks. And also, I mean, in addition to that, one of the things that was helpful for me is to remind myself that there will be other people writing other books. And this is one book. This is one choice of a book that people can choose, you know. And so, yay, great. I'm just a part of the conversation rather than not being a part of it at all. And so, yeah. yeah, but so often the books that do get out there and like if nobody does decide to step up and be that other person like we get I mean, I don't want to name what voice we do tend to see a lot of times, <laughs> right? <laughs> but it might yes. not be your voice, you know, Probably and not I think my we voice. need your voice out there as well. And like, but that's the thing is I just I think it's so much uh, it's like becoming so much more of a thing, I think, for people to realize that like, yeah, actually, like there might be choices, but like this should be one of them. Totally. You know? yeah. Well, thank you. Uh, this this should be one of the options that's out there. So we're glad it is. Yay, um, thank you, Lee. Woo. Also, speaking of voices and other voices, it's not just you in the book, right? So True. You, how did you find the people to interview and like, why did you choose the specific people that you chose? Uh, thank you I know for bringing that up. <laughs> I, I, no, 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 that's great. I forgot to mention that when I mentioned the book earlier. So yes, yeah, so there's around 40 experts in the book giving advice in the book. So it's not just my voice because again, I have one perspective. I've, I've lived one life. I see through a certain lens. And so I, it was really, really, really important to me to have a variety of voices in the book. So there's health teachers, there's sex educators, there's therapists, licensed therapists, doctorates in there. I knew some of these people beforehand, just again, being in the business, the dating sex industry of coaching business for 12 years. I've just known, I know a lot of people. And then also I actually, I posted something on oh, one of the social medias, maybe all of them saying, Hey, does anyone know of anyone, you know, in the coaching education realm for consent and sex who might want to contribute? And so I got a ton of people who wanted to contribute, which again, is like, you know, the, all the, all the like, eh, does anyone care? Is anyone going to try? And then I got, I was like, okay, good. Yay. Yay. I'm not totally embarrassed. No one People want to do this. People aren't like, ew, ew. So I was really excited about that. Um, but yeah, so I was I was very humbled by the people who wanted to be a part of it. I mean, I still get a little like emotional thinking about it. It's like, you know, starting from just an idea, again, pre-dating app, pre-social media to where I am now, where it's like, you know, it, it means a lot that people believe in enough in you and what you're doing to want to be part of it. So I'm just so grateful. So everyone is giving advice, their consent advice, some personal experiences around consent and consent violations, 
you know, all of those things. So it really, it, it just adds a layer of depth to the book. So it's not just me talking. I love it. Can we talk a little bit about what is in the book? So yes, what are some tips on setting better boundaries? So really quickly. So in the book, it's every, it's not just sex related consent. It's everything from boundaries with friends, boundaries with family, colleagues. And there definitely is a section or through the book around uh, boundaries with partners, boundaries around sex, pre-consent conversations before like to decide, "Mm, is this a good choice for me in terms of intimate partner or intimate, you know, interactions, that kind of thing in, especially in American society, it's kind of just go for it and then think about things later or go for it. They bad things happen and then, oh no. And then avoid conversations after the bad things happen. The other thing I want to say really quickly, and I, I go on a Sounds ton of Sounds like deep, such a healthy approach. <laughs> I mean, but again, that's, but you know, one could argue that it's kind of the American way in all ways, sadly, too. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like, don't deal with things and just, it'll go away. And it's just like, ugh. Well, I feel like even just the American idea of, like, the fact that consent and boundaries apply to, like, many situations and relationships. Like, I just, I don't feel like that is something that we have quite gotten there yet it feels like we're still on our way to like really as a society kind of grasping that you know to me it feels like there's a lot of situations where like people just think consent and boundaries don't exist for anything yeah like if i want it i can get it and it's like uh no no there's like it's not just you want it therefore you get it like that's not Outsourced. I'm sorry, but this is just the funniest thing because our toddler has literally um, entered this phase. Of right I now want that, it, like, now I get it. Well, it's, no, it's not just that. It's that when you try to argue with her, everything she says right now, and it's so it's so cute, but it's also like so, so funny in the context of this conversation is like, you know, if I say um, like, you know, hey, Eloise, like, you know, she'll pick up like the remote and I'm like, Eloise, that's not a toy. Like, no, it is a toy, mommy. Like Eloise, we we can't play we can't play with that right now. But I want to, mommy. <laughs> I'm like, okay, well, uh, <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, maybe oh maybe this is actually a good conversation because I have this later. I'm like, how do you start teaching children about setting boundaries? Oh, yes. Like actually, yes, that's yes. really hard. No, and that's I was just gonna say. I mean, that's it's a good like children learn early. You know, one of this actually my old health teacher from high school added a quote in my book. And she uh, she was like health sex ed, like slash, because it was a small school. So it's like, teach this and this. But she said something like, you know, one of the biggest mistakes we make in our society is that we don't teach children this stuff. And it starts with, you know, go hug creepy Uncle Charlie, yeah. who they don't want to hug. And maybe they shouldn't be hugging because maybe there's something. Go- we don't know, right? We don't know about Uncle Charlie, but why are we forcing our children... So, so, or even just like you said, a toy or something that isn't the kids. Sure, sometimes it's okay for them to play for it, but maybe that's a good um, yeah. exercise for them to be like, okay, no, that's mommy's, and you know, mommy needs that right now. So, you know, I'm, those I'm kind gonna, of I'm gonna re- derail us again because we're just we're we're losing track of the plot here, but. <laughs> Ellie knows how much I just want to take every opportunity to tell us that TikTok is going to save the world. <laughs> yeah, so, here we go. Here's and my latest. Can you make a TikTok jingle? Like, like every yes. time Lee talks about TikTok, I'm going to put this jingle into the show. Oh my God, we really should. I have a problem. <laughs> um, 
So, uh, so here's my latest thing is like, I, as much as I will get on my soapbox for TikTok, TikTok these days, the other thing is I'm like 100% will argue that like TikTok's gonna, is making me a better parent. And like, there are so many people that I follow already that are all about either just like positive parenting techniques, but also like consent and like parenting in a way that like teaches consent. And there's like so many easy ways to do that when they're kids and like the one that that we just started that's my favorite right now is we we do the tickle game now where like you take turns tickling and the second someone says no or stop like you stop and and so and it's not just like the practicing like the stopping but it's also like reinforcing for them like you know like every time that she tickles me and you laugh and you laugh and then I say stop and she goes stop and she picks her little hands up and then you say good job listening Eloise like good job listening to mommy great job reinforcement Um, and I'm like just but they're such small simple things and they're also really super adorable (laughs) (laughs) no you know I I actually this is just a reminder I need to step up my TikTok game because I actually am doing more on there but like that just knowing there's people doing consent, then I get a little competitive and I'm like, what? What? <laughs> no, but that's great. That's great. That's good to hear. Thank you. Oh, for that. I'll send you, I'll, I'll follow you and I'll send you some people because they're great and I love them. So. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to see it. But no, like you said, all that's of great. that to say tips for boundaries. Is that what we're getting? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. But what, what you just said is, I mean, that's beautiful modeling, right? It's like, you know, reinforcement of good job, good job. Because I think yeah. so. I think that oftentimes in our society, whether we're talking about kids or adults, there's more of a you did it wrong. There's like mm-hmm. a, a like a you know bad bad you did it wrong, and then there's no like reinforcement of the good thing or a teaching of what could be done or should be done. So I think that's really great. So um, plus they tickle you, and it's adorable. <laughs> yeah, and it's funny you bring up tickling because I absolutely hate tickling and are always have. And so anytime, like I feel like tickling for me personally, like adult to adult is like fully aggressive. Like, but again, yeah. that's why like boundaries are so important. Cause you know, some people like it. I actually knew a guy who literally it was like a sexually, a sexually arousing thing for him to get tickled. And I'm like, Oh my God, that's crazy. I can't relate, but good for you. Yeah. But, you know, <laughs> but it's like, so it's, it's so important to talk about boundaries. So in the book, how to talk about boundaries with partners, introduction to yes, no, maybe lists, which is, you know, if, if, you know, it usually does, if you were to Google search, yes, no, maybe lists, usually that's a more sexual thing. So I want to be gagged. I want to be spanked. Yes, no, or maybe you have a list, you write them down and then you can share, which is actually a fun way to share with your partner boundaries and consent. Cause it's, it's also a very heavy conversation a lot of times. And I'm doing what I can right now to try to lighten the load with the conversation and make it fun. Because I feel like with everything, again, especially Americans, it's like, if it's not fun, like if it's fun, we'll pay more attention. But if it's not fun, we're like, oh boy, like someone's lecturing at me. So (laughs) I'm like, okay, then let's make this fun. So yes, no, maybe list is a really fun way to make the conversation fun. There's a chapter on supporting survivors, how to talk to a a friend. If you pre-COVID, say you're at a bar or well, depending on what state you're in or what country, if you're in a bar with friends, you see your friend kind of like being a little too aggressive with somebody, like how to talk to your friend in a loving way, you know, because I think it's really important that we not enable people in our lives. I'm a little bit of a hard ass with that. I just think we enable friends and especially family and so many different conversations we enable people way too much and so it just gives it's like a a nonverbal 
yeah, I, I agree with what you're doing. And it's like, why are we doing that? Why are we like staying silent with this if we see something happening? So, so that's the book in a nutshell. It's an easy read. I know that was a lot of stuff I just laid on you that's in the book, but it's actually, I wanted to make it an easy read because again, it's a hard subject. So I just wanted to make it so that it's not like super tedious, you know? Yeah. I have a question. Yes. So when you talk about not enabling people, how would you approach that conversation? Like if that were to happen. Sure. Like with a friend or family or just someone in your life. Yeah. With with someone in your life who you you do not want to enable any behavior that they're doing. Sure. Sure. I think it's really important that when you do approach someone, approach them in a way that says that you care about them and you're telling them because you care. So anything that's along the lines of, I mean, let's let's go on a limb and say it's like, your brother or your dad or something. Hey, so I just wanted to say, you know, I know you probably didn't mean this. And I, I, I know you have a big heart and I know that your intentions were probably good. But I just want to tell you that I just kind of noticed this thing that just happened. And I just want to let you know, because I know you don't want to come across that way. And I know you wouldn't want to hurt someone. So you appeal to someone's sense of decency and, you know, even if your brother or dad is a total jerk, <laughs> you're still appealing. <laughs> you're still appealing to their sense of, yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Like my daughter is saying that she thinks I'm great. And oh, let me, let, it stops someone in their tracks. The other thing that you could do, and usually this, for me, this is somewhat, this is something that's maybe like more of a friend or a colleague. Actually, we work for family too, but I'll usually just ask someone to repeat what they said. Like if they said something, if it was not an action you witnessed, but if they say something to you that's misogynistic or racist or whatever the thing is, or unconsensual or a bragging about something they did in a conversation with you, what did you say? Wait, I just, I'm not sure I heard what you said. And so again, that stops somebody and makes them kind of check themselves and it makes them think, oh, wow, this person's questioning me now. And usually for me and my, and my experiences in coaching people and just personal experiences too, usually that's, it's like, you don't almost don't even need to say too much more. It's almost like you catch them, you help them catch themselves and like, oh, maybe that wasn't okay. Because I just feel like so often we're in an echo chamber. I mean, even for myself, like in the last few months, I've really had to let go of a lot of people who it just was toxic things I was seeing on social media or, or in real life conversations. I'm like, this is not, this is not a productive interaction and it's, it's hurting me in some way. Before we get to that place, though, where we have to cut people out, if there is someone you feel like could, is open to hearing something new, just giving them a gentle nudge of, hey, uh, I don't know if you knew that thing that you said, it kind of landed a little funny. And I just, I just want to let you know that, you know, because again, there's so many people who are just like, yeah, yeah, that's right. I'm with you and F those people. And it's like, no, no, like, it's important that we bring up something that is contrary to what someone might be hearing that might be problematic or dangerous, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, and it's also I think it, it gives you a good way to sort of suss out, you know, like we talked, we talked earlier on about kind of like, oh, we know, like, there's like two different kind of categories <laughs> that like people are going to fall into. And I think that's like an easy way to suss out because it is one of the things that's interesting to me is that like, for our culture and our society, like, especially in the US, where I do think that we just have like really poor education around boundaries. It's also something that people get really defensive about very quickly, like, which I find interesting, you know, and so I think that um, that you can immediately tell, like, because it's kind of like a it's a real quick, like empathy check almost, you know, to be like, if I approach it from from a way that kind of like gives you a, a soft landing for this, are you going to immediately hit a place of like, oh, 
a thing I, they don't think I'm a bad person, but a thing that I said, you know, maybe came across the wrong way. Or are you just going to be immediately hit with like that? I don't understand the concept of boundaries. Those don't exist to me. And like, therefore, what you're saying is like the worst thing I've ever heard in my life. And I feel like that kind of um, approach to it is really quickly going to differentiate between those two types of people, you know? Well, and it's the whole thing of someone's telling me I'm bad. And I don't know how to fix it because like you said, there's not a lot of education. So now when someone's just telling me I did something bad, I'm a bad person and that's the end. And so, you know, you know, I want to say to, oh, so a couple things. I'm reading a book called Nonviolent Communication. I'm drawing a blank on the author's name right now, but it's really great. And it actually talks about these things, like how to communicate where you're not turning someone off to the place where they can't listen anymore or not open to listening or hearing you really great book. I'm only like 100 pages in. I'm sure it gets better. But so far, I'm very impressed. And it talks about this. The other thing is, I feel like I've been in so many conversations recently around cancel culture. Cancel culture. Let's talk about it. So, um, you know, during the Me Too movement, the height of it, shout out to Tarana Burke, because I'm so glad she finally got some credit for having coining that term Me Too movement way back before 2017 or what have you. But I think I feel like that was kind of the when cancel culture, the term really kind of became a huge thing because it was like, you know, a lot of let's be honest about it. Lots of cis men were being called out on Twitter and other platforms. Oh, this this dude did this to me, you know, either in the entertainment industry or not or wherever or in all industries, really. It wasn't just entertainment, but it was a lot of it was entertainment. You know, the argument that I hear so often is you know, do people deserve a chance for redemption? And the argument is that cancel culture does not give someone the opportunity to redeem themselves. My argument is that I'm all for redemption. I am one of, like, even in my personal life, I'm, if someone does something that is hurtful, mm-hmm. I always leave the door open for, for some sort of um, resolution. If the person is willing to humble themselves and apologize, admit some mistake, have a conversation, So for me, the people getting canceled are the ones not even trying. And so for me, I don't feel bad for those people because generally speaking, also, let's say that the people getting canceled, it's not just one thing that's happened. It's like a huge, like 80 people or 30 years of something, you know, and people knew and there were enablers and, you know, people protecting people. It's like, does that person, I I don't know. I mean, again, I don't want to. I think people can change given some some very specific small circumstances. Big changes can happen in people, but people have to want it. And I don't think people deserve a chance if they're not even willing to accept the fact that maybe they did harm. I think that's really dangerous. And I don't think it's productive or for the victim slash survivor if we're just not even trying to like, I don't want to say punish, but if, if there's no sort of checks and balances and yes. I can't think of another word other than punishment. I don't want to say punishment though. Consequences. There you go. That's the word. Thank you very much, Lee. And so, yeah, I mean, I just, I feel like cancel culture is basically the answer to people not being, with people not having consequences. That's the answer. The answer is public shame in the form of canceling on social media. And guess what, everybody? I know it's not pleasant and I know it is, it can be destructive, but just think about the people who've been actually harmed, you know, in that perspective, it's less than the harm that was done potentially. So I am going to stop us real quick, just because I want to take a quick break. I want us to come right back because I want to keep digging into cancel culture because I have so many thoughts about this. So we'll 
You can shop from anywhere doing pretty much anything. You might shop while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast. And however you shop, we all know and love the thrill of the hunt. But do you also know how to get the thrill of the best deals? Because Rakuten shoppers do. With Rakuten, they get the deals they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Sephora, Nike, and even Expedia if you're looking to get some travel in. And getting cash back doesn't mean you have to miss out on sales because those can just be stacked right on top. It's easy to use and based on a simple idea. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers, and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back through PayPal or check. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Be right back. So... I'm going to jump us back in with uh, the conversation that we're having about cancel culture, because I think, you know, you touched on something that I actually think would be really interesting, because I know, you know, we're approaching a lot of this conversation from, like, setting boundaries and consent and all of these things. The cancel culture topic, and especially because it is one that comes up a lot, I think, uh, in the queer community, you know, and it's something that we've been seeing happen. Uh, there's, I mean, I could just name so many <laughs> situations that I'm not going to right now that have happened recently that have brought up a lot of these issues and one of the things that I would love to hear is if you also have tips sort of coming from the other side of how do you as a person be open to being corrected right because like we've been saying how are ways to approach someone to correct them gently how do you because I think you know most of us are going to find ourselves in this situation at one time or another and I think that what you're saying is completely correct like the way that you avoid the consequence being like total cancellation is like be open and receptive to critiques to feedback to hearing that something you did maybe hurt someone what are ways that we can try to to hear things differently and to like you know take things uh as opportunities to grow as opposed to just like you know getting shut down yeah great question number one is empathy and I want to say this too, and I, you know, I've, I've been pretty vocal about this on my social media pages, but I, I'm not a, a religious person, but I was raised with like Christian things, do unto others and such. The full phrase, if, every, if anyone doesn't know, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And I see a lot of Christian people who are doing a lot of bad things to people and saying a lot of really gross things that aren't love thy neighbor. And so for me, number one is empathy. And so if you could put yourself in the shoes of the other person, like whether you know them or not, you see a scenario, you hear about a scenario, um, rather than jump on the train of, yeah, yeah, that person got a raw deal, put yourself on the other side of it. Like, how would I feel if somebody came up to me and touched me a certain way or said something to me that was like super, super 
you know, violent, let's say, violence with words, um, how would that make me feel? So the empathy and the willingness to put yourself in the shoes of somebody else is step one, I feel like. Now, let's, I'm not a therapist. I feel like some therapists could say that some people don't have that ability as much as others to be empathetic. But I think if if you do have the capacity, that's a great first step. Um, the others, the uh, number two, I, I like lists. I probably forget. I probably forget what number I'm on at some point. But here we go. Um, number two, I think it's really important to get comfortable hearing no, saying no, and hearing no. But since we're doing, since we're we're talking about one specific side of this, hearing no, especially because I work in consent and boundaries and things, you would think I'd be like a pro at this. Even I, it's hard to hear no. It's just hard. Like we're not taught from a young age to be okay, really be all right with, oh my God, they said no, thank you. I mean, in my adult years with friends and colleagues, I've learned the phrase, thank you for taking care of yourself, which is, you know, mm. kind. I don't. it's kind of a, like if somebody said that in real life, oh, Aaron, thank you for taking care of yourself. Like it sounds a little like rehearsed to me, but something along those lines is really great. So practicing saying and hearing no is great. Now, again, I want to put a little asterisk by this and say, I super, super, super nerd out on these kind of things. <laughs> so these are things I do practice with friends and my partner and certain things. And so it's fun for me as an exercise to practice. Again, I know not everyone will try it, but if you are listening to this and you would like to try this, or you know someone in your life who maybe could really, really benefit from these things, practice hearing no and really sitting in the no and being aware of the feeling that you feel when you hear it. Because usually there is some feeling of how dare they or I didn't get what I want or back to children, right? I mean, at our basic level, adults are childlike in certain emotional reactions. And so it's very much that, that reactive feeling of, oh, I can't believe it. It's like, okay, so let's reframe the no as somebody is saying to you that something for them is not comfortable about this thing. And again, because I'm piggybacking on that, because there is so much sexual shame in this country, and really, let's say in general, the world, that's not, depending on what country you are, let's say that, or in, let's say that, because some countries are very open about sex and some are not. So if we're in a space that's shameful about sex, it makes you feel bad about it. Then sex becomes this whole, if we're talking about consent with sex, then sex becomes this whole thing, this crazy, this goal we have to get to. And oh my gosh, everyone says that I it will be amazing if I have sex with this person or this person says yes to me. So then if they don't say yes to you, then it's this whole heightened thing of they rejected me. That must mean that I'm not good enough. That must mean there's something wrong with me or there's something wrong with them. How dare they? So it's it's we need to reframe the no, hearing the no as oh, wow, okay, someone's saying no to this thing. Maybe that means there's someone else out there who is a yes to me. Or the same person might be a yes to certain things, but just not the thing I asked for. So it's almost, it's a reframing of no as not a personal attack, but more as a redirection with that person or redirection to someone else who's more aligned with what we want or what we're interested in. Did I have a number three? <laughs> I, don't I know, know I lost track of the numbers too. <laughs> I love the idea of a redirection because I feel like to a lot of people it feels like the no is a dead end. The no is like a wall that you have yeah. hit. 
there's nowhere else to go from there. Therefore, you are like, all right, this is horrible. But let's say like you're interested in someone and you you want to kiss them and they say no, but you still think they're a cool person. That's a redirection to mm-hmm. romantically we're not a right. match, but maybe we still could have a platonic relationship. And that's a redirection of that relationship. It's not, all right, goodbye to that person forever. <laughs> Or maybe it is, and that's okay. Yeah. Right. I want to add, thank you for saying that. Like, I want to add to that real quick. In a scenario where, so we're going to shift the focus back on the person who might be saying no rather than receiving no. So if you're the one saying no to somebody or something, and maybe you do like them, like you said, Ellie, you know, there's something you like about that person, you're saying no to intercourse, but maybe there's something else. Maybe you're a yes to kissing and cuddling. It's hard because I'm stopping myself because I don't want it to feel like that you someone has to put another offer on the table. A no could should just be a no if that's what you want. But also, I do feel like in this conversation, it's really important also to say to think about what you actually want. You know, maybe you do actually like this person and would like to spend time with them. So if that's the case, then put another offer on the table, so to speak. So I'm a no to intercourse, but um, oh my gosh, you know, I you know, I really would love to cuddle with you right now. Like that's like that is really exciting to me. So then the person receiving the no or the redirection, so to speak, is hearing, oh, okay, well, they don't they're not totally not into me. It's like, oh, they still want to like hang out with me and they're still interested in me in some way. Just like if maybe somebody was like, oh my God, Lee, I want to go on a fancy, super fancy dinner date with you. It's, but it's like an hour or two away and I have to pick you up and all these things. And you were like, oh, oh, well, oh gosh, I thought we could just go for coffee or something. So then it's like, well, gosh, you know, Aaron, I'm not really super into that. That's, a, that's I don't know if I, whatever. You don't even have to qualify why. Wow, that's really great. How about we do, could we do a coffee instead? Like, is that just to start out or something like that? Then it's like, oh my God, okay. So I know Lee's somewhat interested on some level. I don't know what yet. Could just be friendship. She could be interested in me, you know, romantically. I don't know, but it's not a flat no. But again, I want to, again, the asterisks here, I want to just say if someone is, if you are a total no to what someone's proposing to you, totally fine and stick with that. I'm just saying that I feel like a lot of times there's these nuancy places where it's like, oh, I said no to that person and now they're not asking me out again or something, or they think I'm not interested. And it's like, no, no. So just, just gently say no to that, but maybe leave the door open for something else. Well, and I also, I love, I love that framing of like, uh, of the redirection, Ellie, too, because I think, you know, when you were just saying before, Aaron, about cancel culture, kind of like the, you know, the, the higher level discussion of cancel culture and things like that, that, you know, I think something that everyone kind of struggles with about the idea of cancel culture is that you don't want to feel like you're not giving people a chance, you know, but I think that there's something about teaching ourselves to see that initial no or that initial calling out as the redirection as the opportunity to do something different or do something better and not just you know immediately taking it as like oh someone said I did something wrong and therefore they're telling me I'm a horrible person and I don't have any chance to redeem myself and nobody's ever gonna listen to anything I say ever again but you know rather taking it as like oh someone pointed something out and here's an opportunity for me <laughs> to do better somehow, you know? And I think a lot of people, and especially the people that you do end up seeing kind of, you know, being canceled in one way or another are the people that aren't, that, that don't see it as an opportunity or aren't willing to take that opportunity. 
um, and just kind of only react from like a, a that defensive place instead. Well, it's it's the feeling of what my interactions, especially during my book, what those interactions of people who are more like, how dare, you know, people are too sensitive and that kind of thing. It, it's that feeling of everything's changing. What we used to do back in the day what like i mean i i was in an interview with somebody who's from like let's say the baby boomer uh generation and super conservative i went on the show because i was like i don't want to because you know what because i like these conversations and i don't want to be in a bubble i like the opportunity potentially to change somebody's mind or plant a seed that's why i went on the show anyway it was it was a it was a it was a shit show anyway <laughs> the point you the point is i did i tried oh i tried real hard at some point i might post some of the footage because it was video too and i held my own but it was rough it was rough uh, one of the hardest interviews i've ever done but but i remember the guy said a few times he was like you know i just know i don't need consent i just know when a woman's interested and i said Oof. how i said how do you know and he's like i just know and i said how do you know and he's like I just know. I said, but do you really? Do you know? He was like, yeah. I said, I guarantee that you don't know all the time. I guarantee it. You know, and it was just, it went back and forth for a while. And I gave some other examples and stuff. And it, it, now, listeners, you, you can't see this, but I'm currently deceased on the floor. <laughs> this conversation. But, but so that's the thing, though. I mean, and I don't, I'm not saying like, I know some amazing baby boomers who are really open to these ideas and really want their interactions, especially sexual ones, to be consensual and loving and caring and, and beneficial for everyone involved. But there is this feeling of, okay, it used to be this way. The rules are changing and I'm not fully sure what the new rules are. So now, uh, now it's like things are changing. I'm going to do it wrong and then I might be punished forever if I do it wrong. So I feel like on some level it is a little bit of uh, an irrational fear Having said that, if something was done a certain way your whole life and then all of a sudden there's this new thing and because it is nuancy in certain ways, listen, the point is don't touch people if you don't, if, if you don't know, <laughs> if you want to be touched or whatever. That's just one example. But also there can be nuances, you know, and I, I yeah. don't I don't want to bring them up again. So I won't bring them up by name. But there was a comedian where there was a quote unquote bad date that was published in a blog and. You know, I, I, I did feel a little bad for him because I'm like, gosh, you know, I, I feel like both parties here kind of screwed it up a little bit. If there was just even more communication on both levels or even one level, I think this could have been avoided because it wasn't it seemed like they kind of did like each other. And it wasn't like this whole like someone lurking in the bushes situation. And but so you and you both have to be taught that, you know, I right. mean, that's because that's the other thing. I mean, especially God, you know, when if we're going to talk like baby boomers, I mean, good Lord, I'm like, don't catch me letting my daughters watch a rom com from the 80s oh. anytime before they're like adults, <laughs> because Jesus Christ, I'm like, you just you do like you watch these movies that, you know, for us, I'm like, sure, nostalgically, I can still enjoy them. But you look at what they taught us about romance and dating and how do you get the girl? It's like, oh, you beat her down enough over the course of an hour and a half feature film until <laughs> you like, you know, force yourself into a kiss at the end and suddenly she's in love with you and had been the whole time. And you're like, this isn't really, so, this isn't reinforcing great things. So many of I those are so painful when it's like, they're so bad. Like, totally. Even like, I mean, yeah. yeah. Even like when they have the nerd, like the nerd character who's like harmless. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, but he's also super aggressive. Like yeah. with like, yeah. 
with the, the 80s movies. They're really bad. I know so many. All right, I know. I, I actually like watching some of those movies too, and some of them I hadn't seen in a while. And during the pandemic, I was watching more like childhood movies from the 80s and some of them I, I was just like oh my gosh like I don't know if I can really enjoy this anymore and that's the thing too it's like I don't want to different <laughs> right and that's but I don't want to be like I, you know again wrote a book on consent me over here and yet I still don't want to I, I still want to enjoy entertainment like I still want to be able to enjoy certain songs and not I don't want to I don't want to cancel all of those things especially if it is some sort of art. And also, I think it's like, I, oh gosh, one, I just watched, uh, whoo, this movie's rough. I can't believe I'm actually going to bring it up here. Whatever. I love the movie we Showgirls. We can cut it later. Don't worry. Just put it out there. What's it called? The Show movie Girls? Showgirls. And there's a lot of real problematic things in that movie, but it's fantastical. I love Vegas. It's super fun. Elizabeth Berkley, I love her so much. She took a risk doing that movie. Anyway, I have so many personal feelings about like the industry and her in that and like her being kind of like shoved aside and not given jobs because of it. Like, I think that's horrific. And then, but then also like there's some real like, you know, tropey, like stereotypical things in that movie too that were pretty bad. But so should I not watch that movie? I, I, you know, I don't know. Again, and I, I there, there is, I feel like there's not an answer though. There's not one answer yeah. to this. It's like, and also I just feel like we are in a time where it's kind of an either or society, which I hate. And I feel like, like, why can't, like, I love, my mom and I were just talking, like, I love Venn diagrams. So the Venn diagram, right? Like, I feel like I'm usually in this middle section of where the two circles intersect because there are some things that are black and white, but there's so many things that aren't. And there's so many things that are case by case. Also context and also, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I, there's just so many, there's just, I feel, I wish we could, how about this? I wish that we could use our critical thinking hats, brains a little bit more with some of this stuff. And also the goal here is to make sure everyone feels safe. That's the goal. So, so that's the thing. I mean, I think that probably if, if there wasn't such a putting blinders on to actual trauma that's happening, I think we probably could enjoy these 80s movies a little more because it's like, oh, we're dealing with these things in society. Yay, look at us. We're actually like teaching consent education, all these things. So we can enjoy these movies as just movies rather than like, watch these movies and see and know that these things, these horrific things we're watching actually happen in real life yeah. as well. It's, there's no watch separation. Them as, watch them as like, you know, instruction manuals. Yes. Exactly. Oh <laughs> Before we wrap up, I really want to talk a little bit about consent and boundaries during COVID. Like that's a broad thing, but, but primarily with digital because we're on zoom, we're talking to our friends via text instead of in person, but they're still, boundaries that need to be set. So as I said before, this is probably something I would add to my book if I was writing it again or to the second edition. So um, number one, I think it's really important to be aware of people's time because I think that there's this assumption, oh, we're all at home and we're not working, but that's not true. Some people are still working from home and some like, like this, like this is great. And I'm so happy to see your faces. And also it still takes energy. Like yep. I'm definitely, I'm a total extrovert. Before COVID, I was like at bars, I was out, I was at concerts, I was out doing stuff. Sometimes if I'm on my second or third Zoom for the day, I'm like, I'm effing exhausted. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> I think it's really important to be aware of people's time, even if you're if you're on a virtual date or even virtual virtually with friends or what have you. I think it's really important to just be aware of time. And also for self, 
set boundaries around time. It's totally okay to be like, listen, I have 30 minutes. Listen, I have an hour. Oh my gosh, I have to go like do this other thing, but let's, let's do this again soon. Great. You know, but it can't just be this thing that lasts forever and ever and ever. One of you is like, I got to get out of this zoom. <laughs> um, number two, here I go. One and two. <laughs> um, let's, let's see how long that lasts. Um, number two is really important to not send unsolicited anything. So a pics, um, you appear and you're, you know, shirtless or pants, like, don't do that. Like, why are we doing this? So, I mean, it's because it's a really, it's a really weird thing to be virtual, right? It feels personal in a lot of ways. And there's also this, like, this barrier of realness, this virtual reality of sorts, right? Where it's like, well, I'm not in person, so maybe I could get away with a little bit more because, you know, I can just leave or go away or turn off my computer or my iPhone and then they'll never know or they won't remember. No, no, they'll remember and don't do that. Like it's really important to still be aware. And again, whatever consent conversations you'd have in person, it's really important to have those still virtually. That's the only thing that stands out to me right now. And those, I think that's good. The biggest thing for me is the time. Totally. Because like right now, I feel like I am swamped. Like I am constantly busy and it feels like everyone, like everyone's busy, but it feels like people are like, talk to me, talk to me, come hang out with me. Like I haven't seen you in so long. Like let's spend time together. And there's a part of you that's like, yes, I really, I would love to see you. Like you're my friend and I enjoy your company. However, I only have so much time. Exactly. No, no, exactly. We only have so much time. And even though it's virtual, it's still our time. So it's really important. It's still time. Yes. Let me see. Also, I think it's really important to say too, um, I think especially say, let's say you have a virtual date with somebody and they, I mean, Zoom, like for example, Zoom, I don't know if I shouldn't be shouting out certain platforms names or whatever, but it does say you're recording. I think it's really important that you not just record someone, ask them if you can record something or take a picture of something. And some people, depending on the level of dating that you're doing virtually, um, would say, yeah, yeah, it's okay, go for it. But it's really important that even if it's just like, oh, I'm just gonna sneak, sneak a photo, like, you know, like, like digital things are never deleted for real, like never really deleted, I should say. So it's really important to try to respect people's boundaries around that. Just because China has all our TikToks doesn't mean that you get to have everything you want. <laughs> exactly. Just like, what's his name just got hacked with a dick pic? I don't know how it happened. Oh, yeah, Chris Evans. Yeah, well, he didn't, get, like, he didn't get hacked. He, like, accidentally posted. See? We don't I, know. Maybe he was on a date and was like, just for you. And then something happened. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So that's why you shouldn't send them, Chris. Or ask They'll go on first Twitter. And <laughs> uh, yeah. Just make sure you really want that picture out there forever. That's what I'm saying. Yes, yes. <laughs> Solicited is okay. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> I just wanted to say too, I mean, you we actually did talk about this briefly uh, in email. It was what are some unique challenges that the LGBTQ community are more likely to face with consent? I just wanted to touch on that real quick. Number one that stood out to me that comes up all the time in my circles is pronouns. And that, you know, that's, I feel like it's such a basic thing. I don't know why this is a problem, but for me, it, it definitely follows under, falls under consent for sure. It's like, if somebody is telling you, Hey, these are my pronouns, just use the pronouns. Can we not like, why is this so hard? Like, 
Yeah. Who cares? Please just use the pronouns the person wants to use. Also, I mean, the consent around safety, too. And I mean, obviously sexual, but not obviously. I mean, bars. I know from a few gay men friends, it's just like constant. Well, when we were in bars together or when they were in bars together, touching, grabbing, you know, and because there's uh, somebody just told me the other day, they're like, yeah, I'm really tired of this feeling of just because I'm in a space that means I can be touched. Mm-hmm. And so I don't want to just call out gay men, though. I mean, I, you could sometimes in like parties that are like sexy parties or, you know, parties where there could be some level of nakedness, those type scenarios. Like sometimes there is an assumption that because you're in the space, oh, you're just up for the taking. And that shouldn't be the case, regardless of whatever, how you present, what your gender is, what your lifestyle is, all of, all the categories. Not OK. Yeah, that's just I wanted to touch on those real quick. I love that, too. I think I want to talk a little bit about LGBTQ community boundaries that Lee, I feel like you'll get also as queer women is also time with your partner. Oh, and time (laughs) apart from your partner. Oh, like there's the. There's this, uh, what is what do they call it? The lesbian urge to merge. Yeah. Um, oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, especially with COVID, where maybe you're living with your partner mo- and you're, and even if you were living together before, you were going to work. You were going out on the weekends. You were doing other things. So setting time and space and boundaries for time apart, even when you're both in the same house. Totally. And like, it's okay to take some time apart and that's just I think a really good I don't know I think about this with relationships a lot of like I think a lot especially in America when you're in a relationship there is an assumption that there are certain things expected of you when really what we need to be doing is negotiating which with each individual partner what are the expectations for this relationship for sure because that I think is is an issue just like when you're in a relationship in general of like one partner thinks oh well we're together therefore this means this and the other one's like we're together so this means this and you're like actually we're we're on different pages yeah a lawyer that's like a lot of things a lawyer might say that you there's not a meeting of the minds and so that's why Mm -hmm. it's really important to communicate especially i mean listen what you were in a relationship before covid the things that are happening during covid that probably wasn't what your relationship was dealing with before COVID. So you probably weren't together all the time before COVID. You probably weren't like, I mean, so yeah, it's like a renegotiating and a like an upping of the communication with the current partner it, during a pandemic. Cause it is nuts. Like this is new territory for all of us. We're still trying to figure it out. Who knows how long this thing is going to last. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. So it's like, yeah, it's really important to talk about these things and just kind of see, check in and see well, where are we now? Like, do you like, are you like, is, do you want to talk about like how much time we're spending? Like, do you need space? Like, am I annoying you? Cause I feel like, I feel like you're a little annoyed with me today. Like, do you like, just let me know, just please let me know if you need space. Let's talk about things like that kind of thing really quick too. I wanted to say that COVID is huge boundaries, the boundaries with COVID for anyone who's single and listening. Or I just was actually on a podcast recently. It was a polyamory podcast and it was a conversation around COVID and what do you do with your other partners if you're with, if you're quarantined with a partner and then the other partners are not in your pod and then you like maybe your partner, your primary partner doesn't want you to see the other people because you're breaking the pod. Conversations. Please have all the conversations. And, you know, it's just it's that is boundaries that that is consent. And those are boundaries. 
You know, if somebody is not comfortable with you going to sit and eat at a restaurant and you're quarantined with them, like it's really important that you respect them, even if it seems stupid to you. Like if you're dating somebody or just meeting someone that you want to date and they're like, oh my gosh, like I'm really nervous about going to this place. Like don't shame them and make them feel bad for not wanting to go somewhere. Also, you don't know what someone's health situation is. They could be immune compromised, but even if they aren't, don't make them feel bad. That is a choice and that is their boundary. And that like literally if you can't get past the COVID boundary, then how are you going to get to the other boundaries of like right. sex stuff? Well, yeah. and I think I, I actually think that's like a great way to tie this all up because I love what you just said about like that is consent. And I think that that that's like a good I think that's a good ending is like communication is consent. Like that's that's the takeaway here, y'all. That's what we're going for. Yes. So I'm, yes. I'm good. I, I like that. That's a good happy bow on this, I think. I love it. Excellent. There's boundaries and consent in every single day of your life that you should be negotiating. And here's a quick tip. Pa- practice. Practice speaking, writing down your boundaries, speaking about your boundaries, practice saying no, practice hearing no from people. Um, you know, those things are really important. And, and bottom line for me is if someone doesn't respect your boundaries, no matter how little they are or how silly they think it is, you got to let them go. And I know that's easy to say. And I know sometimes it's more complicated if you're married, if you have kids, if you, you know, known someone 20 years, but really that is if someone can't respect the fundamental truth of you feeling safe and no matter how insignificant a scenario, that is not a loving way to treat somebody and you got to get out of there. Love it. Does that mean it's All time, right, Ellie? It's, it's time. It's time for our Q and Gay. Woo! Q, 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 Q and, 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 and gay. gay. So we're going to ask you some multiple choice yes or no questions. We're going to put them on our Twitter for our followers to answer as well. So here we go. Question number one. How often do you set boundaries with your partner? A, once a week. B, every day. C, once a month. Or D, whenever we need to. Okay, this feels like a test, and I hate <laughs> I hate tests. I'm actually I'm in another certification for sex ed stuff, and I'm like every week there's a test. I'm like I hate tests. School there's no really- wrong answers here. True, there's and that no makes wrong me feel answers. that makes me feel way better. So I'll go D whenever we need to or something. Great. Yes, <laughs> keeping one open ended. Question two: What are you most often setting boundaries about? A, physical space, B, topics of conversation, C, sex, or I would say probably D, time. We're both busy people. In what area of your life do you have the hardest time setting boundaries? A, family, B, friends, C, work, or D, intimate relationship? Definitely work, C. Definitely. I work too much. I take too many things on, and then I get FOMO all the time if I'm not taking everything. So it's a problem for sure. I get it. So it's an opportunity to grow. That's what we're going with, okay? Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay. Question four. When did you first learn about healthy boundaries? A, as a toddler, B, elementary or high school, C, in college, or D, in adulthood? Whatever B was. It's, uh, our, elementary our, high school. Yeah, I'll go with that one because I remember, and I was with family, because I remember my grandfather, I was eating like Cap'n Crunch or something, like just on a like, I like to eat it dry without milk. And I remember he was like, give me some. And my grandmother was like, don't you do that because you're the first example of a man at, with her and you can't just take something from her like that without asking. My mom reminds me of that all the time. And so like my, the ladies in my life, family, woo, <laughs> preaching, preaching and teaching lessons. Yes. I love it. All right. Question number five. 
Are you dating during COVID? A, yes, I found my soulmate. B, yes, with many people. C, no. Or D, I already have a significant other. Um, I'm going to go with D. Significant other. Remember, you can give us your own answers to this episode's Q&A questions on our Twitter at Les Hangout Pod. Erin, thank you so much for hanging out with us today. I learned a lot, and I know our listeners did too. Yay! It was a pleasure to be here. Um, I My website is uh, thedatingadvicegirl.com. I'm on Instagram and Twitter at datingadvicegrl, datingadvicegirl, no I in the word girl. And I'm on TikTok, but again, I need to build that up a little bit because the kids are Do killing it. about it. The kids are killing it. Uh, and tell people where they can find your book and also because you have your own podcast as well. So. I do. I do. Mine is not as consistent as yours is. <laughs> I've been doing it for, wow, about eight years or so off and on. And I used to interview celebrities and all kinds of stuff. But as we talked before, it's a lot of work and I do way too many things. So if I have an interesting topic, I'll pop in with an episode. It's called the Dating Advice Girl podcast. It's on iTunes and all the things, all the wherever you get your podcasts. And my book is The Consent Guide Book. It's on my website, thedatingadvicegirl.com, and also on its own website, theconsentguidebook.com. Second edition, possibly coming eventually. Who knows? With a bunch of digital editions. Right? I love it. <laughs> I love it. And Erin will also be doing an Instagram story takeover on October 8th, so make sure you send in all your questions. Erin, thank you so much for hanging out with us yet again. This has been amazing. Let me hear you say hip, 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 We love hearing from you and building community, so we want to shout out some of our favorite things each episode. I would like to shout out somebody who reached out on Instagram, that is Megan, who agrees that Xena should get rid of all the male love interests. Correct. We obviously agree with you. So thank you. She started watching Xena because of our recommendation and, you know, was like, yeah, yeah, gay, and then saw the men who came randomly in and was very upset, as we all are. So we feel you, Megan. Yeah, uh, yeah. I agree. Get me the reboot of Xena that has no men, still features Lucy Lawless and Renee O'Connor. That's what I want. That's what my 2020 needs, really, to turn. I'm for it. Also, if you have any other should have been gays, we keep getting some suggestions and they're all impeccable. So please email them to us, message us. We love it. Amazing. Also, we would like to thank, as always, our Lesbian Jesus patrons, Mark Foster, Jess Klaus, Tanya Ferguson, Danny Griswold, Jacqueline Rose Nishino, Sarah and Julia, Carrie Ann Lawrence, Danny Gunlock Tamora, Brittany Ray, Alana Rosen, and Tara Gleason. And our King Princess patrons, Amy and Ellen, Leah Henley, Liz Chen, and Wendy K. Bartlett. Thank you all so much. You help make this podcast possible. Remember, you can also find us on all the social medias, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Les Hangout Pod. You can email us at leshangoutpod at gmail.com. Or you can check out our website at leshangoutpod.com. Make sure that you subscribe on whatever app you use to listen to podcasts. That way you'll get new episodes as soon as they go up. We're also posting some videos on our YouTube channel, so make sure you subscribe at youtube.com slash leshangoutpod to catch them. If you want to help support the podcast, there are so many ways that you can do that. The first is you could rate and review us on the Apple Podcasts app. A, we love reading the reviews. B, it helps new people find the podcast. The other one is you could just tell people, tell your friends about the podcast, tell them to listen. Tell them all. If you want to support us 
Financially, you can do that at bit.ly slash less Patreon. We love all our patrons. We hang out in our Discord chat. We just had our Les Essentials watch party last weekend, and we also have ad-free episodes. If you're sick of all our ads, it's okay. I get it. <laughs> but you can join us at bit.ly slash lesspatreon, and you don't have to hear them again. It's amazing. You can also check out our tea Public at bit.ly slash lesshop. We have so many designs. You can get them on tees, on tanks, on pillows if you want. I mean, there's all sorts of good stuff in there. So you can check it out. It's a fun way to, you know, spruce up your quarantine wardrobe a little bit change things up switch it up you can also follow us individually you can find me at ellie brigida on instagram twitter and tiktok and you can find me on instagram twitter and tiktok at lsh foster with that i'm ellie and i'm lee and And let's let's hang hang out out again again soon soon. let's hang out talmur is my home My family have worked the land for generations. My gran says the island does not belong to us, but we belong to the island. And we must be ready, for a great evil is coming. And death follows with it. Listen and subscribe to the latest season of Undertow, The Harrowing, a Storyglass production presented by Realm, available wherever you get your podcasts.